Okay, Houston, we've had a problem here. Say again, please. Uh, Houston, we've had a problem. Hi, I'm Andrew Wallace, and welcome to the We've Got a Problem podcast, where each week we explore inspiring stories of struggle, success, and solutions to prevalent problems, and how our guests have turned a problem into an opportunity. Today, I'm joined by David Petrove. He's been a career coach and counselor for more than 20 years, helping countless people survive change, transition between jobs, and find the same sense of fulfillment and joy in their lives that he has. David, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me, Andrew. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you were not born a career coach, I imagine. You probably had a little bit of a life before this. Give us a little bit of backstory. How did you get into this? What What did you do in your previous life? How did you get your start? What, what brought you here to being on my show? So at the time that I was looking at what I was going to do in terms of my career, it could the idea of a career coach probably didn't even exist. Coaching is a more recent profession that people have gone into, although we've been coached probably most of our lives and not even known it, Andrew. Yes. Yes. So my journey and, you know, looking at what your audience would benefit from, my journey began when I was in college, and this would have been in the 60s. Okay. All right. And so the time came when there was a four-year degree facing me. What was I going to do with it? And my degree was in psychology, much to my mother's chagrin, because she said, what are you ever going to do with a degree in psychology? (laughs) And so I was finishing up that degree and wondering what would happen next. Because these were the days where we didn't really spend much time planning for our careers. Mm -hmm. They more or less happened to us. People would just fall into various occupations and that's what I probably thought was going to happen to me. So it, right as I was getting ready to graduate, I received a letter from the College of Education, Special Education and Rehabilitation. And I thought, oh, that's something I could look into, never having a desire to become a teacher. That was just not on my list of to-dos. So I did my interviews with everyone in that department and said, no, can't do that. No, don't want to do that. The very last person that I spoke to was the professor in charge of education for the blind and visually impaired. Okay. And I said, I could do that. And so I applied and was accepted. And that began, believe it or not, an entire master's program in about nine months. (laughs) They were so desperate for teachers in that field. Right. That, you know, hey, just finish up and when, you know, you can learn as you go along. And so as part of my internship, uh, I was approached by the principal of the School for the Blind, who said, if you don't have any plans after you finish your program, I'll be more than happy to have you fill out an application and apply to be a teacher here. So I did that and was hired. And after my first year, I thought, what have I gotten myself into? But (laughs) I think we've all had that. that I think a lot that's a common first job jitter kind of thing. Like, what have I done? Why? Why is this happening? Why? This is not particularly right. Uh, in the sense that I that I want it to be. So, so how long was it before you, you 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 got out of that and into into what you do now? 
<laughs> well, it took me 34 years. <laughs> okay. Just a little bit of time. Just a little bit of time. And I think just as I would begin to lose interest in one of the positions, something new would open up for me. Okay. And then it was, I could do that. I think that was the, that was the whole premise of my career. I could do that. Yeah. And none of it, Andrew, was, I want to do that. Yes. It was always, I could do that. And so I would pretty much uh, grow into whatever that position was. And of course, continue to do schooling. Uh, because after I finished my first master's degree on how to educate children who were blind, um, I moved to Arizona from Pennsylvania and started a second master's degree. Why not? More education. Why not? More Just education. Keep right. adding it on. Right. But, and you know, more, more of the same. Yeah. Right. And that was in counseling. Okay. And one of our options, this was at the University of Arizona, was it was like this smorgasbord where you tried the various types of counseling. Mm -hmm. And again, when it came to career counseling, I could do that. <laughs> okay, And I did. And so the school where I was working, um, I did one of my internships there. And that turned into a full-time opportunity to be what we titled a career development specialist. Okay. All right. So now we're moving a little bit closer to where you are, just slowly, slowly. What I mean, I think, and part of that, and I don't mean to interrupt your story. I'm, I'm just processing it at the same time. Sure. Part of the, the the thing that I think people focus on, and and I, I'd love to get your take on this, but so often we kind of look at different shifts in career as as some rapid change. Like the only way I'm going to go from being uh, a teacher to being uh, a truck driver is to to quit my my teaching job and go get the truck driver position rather than say and I'm using horrible examples here but rather than saying well I could start driving the school bus <laughs> on, on my on my on my days off or add that in and now I've got my commercial license or I've got this and now I can leverage that to turn this in and you just kind of kind of bend it in that direction that that may be effective for for some people certainly hasn't worked for me but the, the I can see how you kind of if you're if you're trying to head in a direction you can you can you can bend your 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 career and your positions toward something that the, the way you're headed okay so career counselor for blind people right and these were high school students okay so my job was to start with them as freshmen and expose them to the types of careers that are out there. And I love doing that because of the creativity. And then I had in their senior year to actually work on placing them in a position that reflected what their career goals were. Mm -hmm. So if someone said, well, I wanted to work in the medical field, mm -hmm. I would talk to a local hospital and get them into their supplies department just okay. so that they could get a sense of whether or not that would be a fit for them. Sure. And so I thought, gee, I wish I would have had something like that when I was in school. <laughs> but that was not the case, because right. remember, I was there in the 60s, and it right. was pretty much non-existent, that whole path that you could take. Right. So while I was doing that, I decided it's time to work on a doctorate. 
<laughs> just, okay. just, just pile it higher. Just and deeper. pile it okay. on. Sure. <laughs> I love having all those diplomas in front of me. So I, um, I applied and actually I was looking at a third master's and they said, no, if you're going to go back to school and, went, and it wasn't going back to school because I never stopped going to school. They said, you'll have to go into a doctoral program, Okay, which I did. And the funny thing about it, and remember I told you I stayed in that one field for 34 years. Right. When it came time to finish my doctoral program, this again was at the University of Arizona, they told me they were going to give me an award for the student who spent the longest time in a program without getting a diploma. (laughs) And if I didn't finish in two semesters, I was out. Whether okay, I Dr. Had a degree David. or not. So <laughs> that only took 18 years. Oh, well, just doctorate. a short, a short, sure. short period of time. All right. So so you get out, you've got your doctorate. Finally, you 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 become a, a, a career coach. And now you're in this kind of position where where you're you're feeling a, a stronger degree of fulfillment and sense of joy. Not that you didn't, I'm sure, in your past stuff as you kind of move through but now now you're doing it what is your secret what what is your process like when you when you coach people to find the same joy passion fulfillment those kinds of things and i think that's it it's finding joy and fulfillment granted mm-hmm. we work in positions that allow us to sustain a certain lifestyle okay and that's part of it but when you think about the number of hours and years that you spend working, don't you want to do it with something that gives you joy? Well, theoretically, yes. Theoretically. <laughs> and again, we find that when you don't work in that type of position, and I was a prime example of that, you begin to develop behaviors and attitudes that are nonproductive. And I, when I left after 34 years, Andrew, I was so burned out. I don't think I could have even shown up one more day. How do you know when that's happening? For me, I started arriving five minutes before the workday started. Mm-hmm. And as soon as the clock hit four, I was out of there. Right. So definitely, you know, for listeners, if this sounds like you, most likely it's time to reevaluate what it is that you're doing and where you're doing it. Yes. So now what, what do you do? I mean, it, for, for, for your clients and all that, you accept the fact that you go, okay, I'm in a, I'm in a place that I need to make a change, mm-hmm. but making a change is difficult. Making a change is uncomfortable. Making a change, you know, at least I know what I've got. How do you keep and how, how do you coach your, your clients to keep that sense of, well, to not burn out on the, on the job hunt process? I mean, is, are, are there some secrets to keeping with it, to, to your stick-to-itiveness, so to speak? It is a process. And I liken it to dating. So the first person that you ever meet, is that the person you're going to marry? I hope not. Probably not. Okay. <laughs> right. You're going to go through a, a screening process, and it works both ways. So you really want to find out, you know, like with the dating services, they create profiles Mm -hmm. of what would be a good match. I think the same is true, Andrew, with what we do with work. So it's really educating a client on what their interests are, Mm -hmm. what their values are, what's your personality type, and where is going to where you're going to find the best match for what's on the other side of that. So it's vetting out the companies, 
what I find is that most clients don't bother checking out the culture of the company. Mm -hmm. You know, we take a look at, so like with me, what didn't work before? What was it that was going on where you were a clock watcher? And how do you want to avoid that in the future? And many times it has to do with who manages or supervises them, Mm -hmm. that they don't have a good fit for what they bring to the workplace and how that is viewed by management. Yeah. So individuals, let's say, who are all about initiative, Mm -hmm. they want to be in jobs where what they have to contribute is valued. Now, they may not adopt it in the company, but at least they're willing to listen. Mm -hmm. And I know for myself, one of the jobs I had where I was all about creating programs. That's what I absolutely loved. And when I would present that to the people above me, the response was, that's not what we hired you for. Uh So just go back to your cubicle and do what we hired you for. So you can imagine what happens with my wanting to be a part of a company that doesn't value that. Right. So it's really about the the many different ways in which we can vet out companies. So you can talk to people through social media, like LinkedIn, you know, who either works for that company or worked for them in the past. What was your experience? If you no longer work for them, why did you leave? And in some cases, their reasons for leaving were legitimate. But in other cases, they said, I just did not agree with what management's approach to Mm -hmm. business was. Their business model did not work for me. Well, especially when things change. You know, that's that's the you know, I I, I you you go into a an organization and of course organizational change is inevitable. Change is, is is oftentimes beneficial, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's just shifting the deck chairs around on the Titanic. So that that once you get in this this situation where the the place I joined isn't the place that, that it turned out to be or that it became quite quickly, and and you go, ah, this is not this is not the organization I want to be with, the, the culture, the, the, the whatever. I, I absolutely see that. And I think the part of the thing for me when, when I've looked at, at positions or tried to, to switch around has been the Herculean effort that it seems to be to find a good fit. I mean, similar to dating, like you say, right? But to go, okay, I find a company that looks like a good fit, that's a place I might want to work from reading the website and the career, this and that. And, and, and I, I know a couple of people who seem happy there. Okay, fine. So you try and try and get in there and then you've got to learn so much about the company, find the position that looks like it might be a good fit, hopefully apply for that position. They don't have any open positions. They've got something else. It's like a little tangential and you go through that whole process. Then you go through the, the hope, hoping you get accepted for the interview. Now I've really got to invest all this time. The fact that I then send that resume into a black hole, it's like meeting somebody, having a great first date, and then they, they never call you back. They, they ghost you. Right. And part of that, Andrew, is don't take it personally. Yes. And what that means is it's not just happening to you. It's happening to many of the people who go through the process. And I remember uh, applying for a position. It was actually at a school that I had worked at previously. And uh, I was looking at what they were wanting. Mm -hmm. And I was a perfect match. Mm -hmm. The fact that I had worked there for five years, I knew their system. 
So I filled out the application, mailed it in. I didn't even make it to the first round of interviews. The superintendent of the school, I, he said, if you have any questions, feel free to contact me. And I did because I knew him. And he gave me his version of why I wasn't considered. I didn't believe it. So I talked to someone who was currently working there. And she said, the reason why you weren't considered was they had already groomed someone for that position. Oh. So it really didn't matter. Right. And there I was with a doctorate. No, that didn't fly. But the thing is, these are the pieces of information you need to find out. Are there any internal candidates? Because as soon as there are, your chances of being seriously considered drop. Right. Okay. Again, don't take it personally. That's one of the advantages of being inside that company when they're looking for candidates for positions. Mm -hmm. So it's the old hire from within. And, you know, I say to people, when you're in an interview, who who's at the greatest risk in terms of the whole process? Is it the person being interviewed or the interviewer? And they typically say, oh, it's you, the one being interviewed. I said, no, if you don't get the job, that's a zero net gain, okay? If they hire the wrong person, do you know what it can cost them in time and money? So they have the most to lose in making an incorrect selection. So when you go in there just with the idea of, okay, I'm going to be me. And I remember reading from one coach who said, be whatever they're looking for. Right. And I'm thinking, okay, and how long could you sustain that (laughs) personality? About two and a half years. That's my limit. Okay. But again, these are all the things that you really want to think about. So it's about, yes, you have to customize your resume. And rather than send it out into the black hole, and by the way, some people do get those jobs sending it out into the black hole. But for many of us, it's who do you know? Right. So it's the value of a network. Yes. So, okay, do you know someone who currently works there who knows the hiring manager? Mm-hmm who can put in a good word for you. Right. Because we know that when that occurs, it increases the likelihood that you'll be seriously considered. And I used to do that with people that I knew, and I would say, I'm willing to refer you, but you better be the best employee they ever had. Right. And they would be. Because if you're not going to be, I'm not going to refer you. Right. So look at the value of who you know. Yes. And people say, yeah, but I couldn't ask them to do that for me. We do it all the time. Right. Well, I think that's the the, the biggest thing that uh, that, I I talked about from from personal experience, but the biggest thing that I think hinders people in in some ways is the resistance to to networking, feeling like it feels slimy or uh, because of the, the way that people network so often seems badly done. That, that people go to industry functions or whatever, and they're just trying to build their network and pass out as many business cards as they can. And, and hey, I'm Andrew, I have a podcast and, and blah, blah, blah. Great. Talk to me later. You know, and, and they're, they're working the room and they're trying to, to get around and people feel like, well, that's, this is so slimy. This is so scummy. I don't want to, I don't want to be asking my, my friends or family or, 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 or people who are one step away, right? I go, I, I don't, ha- I don't have a friend who works at, I don't know, pick a company, Google. 
right? I don't know anybody who works at Google offhand, but I but but one of my friends knows somebody who works mm-hmm. at Google, and and to think through it that way, and to go, I, I'm I'm not asking you for for a, for a full leg up here or to to give me extra consideration, but I'm trying to figure out a way to 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 talk to somebody about whether there are any internal candidates for this position or ask a couple more questions to see if it might even be a fit. And, right. and what's the danger in that? The only danger is that they say no, and it's like, okay, then I'm no worse off than I was to begin with, right? Oh, I, I, I don't know the person. I can't help you. I'm so sorry. We're really busy, blah, blah, blah. Okay, fine. But it's better than the black hole, right? It's better right. than the, right. So, Absolutely. you know, you brought up earlier, what happens if you're wanting to switch the direction yes. of your career. Yes. So, obviously, I did that. Yes. And mine was don't do what I did. Okay. <laughs> Which was after 34 years, I went to the superintendent and turned in my letter of resignation. Right. And the, I, the, I think the comment was, what are you going to do next? And my response was, I don't know, but it's certainly not this. Okay, <laughs> that was it. No plan. But, but, but that is my. That's that's what we all kind of sometimes wish we could do, right? Is just go, I don't care what it is, but it's not this. Right. And it's I'm gonna get out of this. Yeah. So yeah. what I means so what's the what's what's the alternative, Dr. David? Okay, so the alternative is what I did afterwards, which was to conduct what we call informational interviews. Okay. So I found people, starting with one that I knew and talk to them about being a career coach or a career counselor. And I asked them about five questions. So it was very short, about 15 minutes. My other mistake was the first one I ever did, I spent more than an hour with that person wrong. And at the end of that hour, all she said was, you know, if it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck. And her suggestion was go back to what you were doing because you were a teacher, you were an educator. That's Mm -hmm. not what I wanted. I wanted a plan. So I learned from that and started talking with people. And you always end an informational interview with the same question, which is, do you know anyone else that I might speak to regarding this occupation Mm -hmm. to gather more information? And guess what? Every one of them gave me a name. Not only did they give me a name, but they did a virtual introduction. Okay. And that's the other thing. Would you be willing to introduce me to them? And a virtual introduction takes about two sentences on the computer. It's so simple. And the fact that they know the other person significantly increases the likelihood that the other person will say yes. So I did five of those. And then the fifth person said, this was really a lot of fun talking with you. And you obviously know what you're doing. Unfortunately, we don't have any positions open. Now, remember, when you do these, you don't say to them, I'm looking for you to hire me. Right. The last thing you do with networking, any of this is to ask for a job. It's about building a relationship. So I said, all right. You know, and then I asked the question, do you know anyone else that I could speak to? Two weeks later, she contacted me and said, we have a job opening. Would you like to apply for it? Which I did. And I was hired. And they had gone through a change in upper management. The The CEO was just hired. Mm-hmm. Had I applied probably a year earlier, it would have been a great match. Oh. 
Okay. But with the new person, a whole different business model Mm -hmm. that was not going to work for me. So I only lasted there a short time. And the best thing that could have happened was I was scheduled for knee surgery and said, um, I'm going to be out of commission. So rather than hold the spot, why don't you just accept my resignation, hire someone else? And so I thought, okay, that's important to learn. Again, are you a good fit for that culture? Well, there's there's a question that comes up that I start asking myself, and I'm sure a lot of people do, which is, am I a good fit? And and is it okay that I'm not? Like, is it a is it a personal failing that I'm not a good fit? And and I I not you know not not constantly thinking about these things, but you start to feel like if you if you don't put so much weight on whether it's personal, like you say, don't take it personally earlier, mm-hmm. and instead look at it as I'm not a good fit for this right now, the way that that things are, and that there's no uh, negative to that other than okay, hey, that's the way it is. I'm not a good fit. Find somebody who is. That's that's fine. And when you don't look at it as 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 put all that weight on it of what am I going to do? Who am I? What does this matter? I, I, maybe I should alter myself. Maybe I should, maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm not, you know, maybe it's, maybe that's, maybe, maybe I'm not, maybe I'm not cut out for, 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 for this industry or this, or this work. And you go, well, not a good fit for this position. Very specific, not a good fit for this position at this company, at this, at this thing and, and move on and do it preferably quickly (laughs) so that you don't waste, waste time being miserable, I suppose. Well, and if that's going to happen, which I think is pretty healthy, is that the first thing you do when you make that decision or someone makes it for you, that you're not going to move forward with Mm -hmm. being hired, uh, feel whatever feelings, feel disappointment, feel anger. Uh, When I received that letter that said I was not being considered for a position that I was highly qualified for in the school, I went out onto my balcony, held the letter up. And put a match to it. <laughs> and that felt so good, Andrew. I'll bet it did. I'll bet it did. I, I wish we could do that more these days because now everything's electronic, right? But no. you can't burn your computer. No. Although sometimes we might like to. I, so, I mean, there's there's a little bit of a, of a sense in finding a good fit for you that comes down to, to foundational stuff, as you kind of alluded to earlier. Finding your purpose, finding your passion, finding the way you like to use your brain, finding the way that, that you work best, that fits best for your personality type and all these things. But those are complex, very introspective kind of things. And you might think, you might have this vision in your head that, that you are one way, but it's almost, it's quite possible to, to delude yourself, I suppose, into thinking, well, I'm, I'm an analytical guy and you go, but you, you hate using Excel. You hate <laughs> and, and to, to point out those incongruities, how often and, and, and what's the, what's the method for really getting to the bottom of it and actually winnowing out what, what our real purpose is? How, how can people find what their true purpose, passion? Well, I think the whole concept of finding your purpose in life, okay, somehow I think of that as a myth. Right. Okay. Good. Because the purpose that I have today, you know, as I enter the final quarter of life, okay, it's just people break it up into, you know, 25 year segments and I'm entering that last one. My purpose in life today 
very different from when it was at 25. Sure. Okay. And we have to recognize that. So stop asking 25-year-olds, what's your purpose in life? <laughs> it's what's your purpose in life today? And for many of them, it's becoming established, right? Yeah. And that makes perfect sense. But yeah. the other side of it is also, Andrew, you take who you are with you throughout your life. So for instance, when people do like the Myers-Briggs, mm-hmm. okay, I'm certified in that. And we find that for the most part, that four-letter profile stays the same. Now, as we age, we become more flexible Mm -hmm. in how we apply that. But uh, for my type, it makes perfect sense for the work I do. Right. Because I'm all about being out there in the world and being looking for meaning. Mm -hmm. What I learned was the classes that I did not do well in in school, I couldn't understand the application behind it. Right. So that if I had taken physics and they said, well, this is how you use it, it would have made a lot more sense to me. Sure. As opposed to, well, here are all the formulas you need to memorize. And my right. first question is, why? Right. right. Why? Right. Why do? And I thought, there's a book to do that. You right. Look at the book. Right. Well, that's, the, and I think there is a little bit of a problem just on a slight side note with today's youth. They do ask why. In a lot of situations in school and, and all these things, they go, well, why do I need that? I've got a computer that does it. I've got the whatever. And and I, I did watch a comedian recently who said, look, Gen Z can't write a check. They don't know how to address an envelope or read a paper map. So if Gen Z takes over the world, it's going to be easy to get it back. <laughs> we'll just oh. write the, <laughs> just just write the directions on on a piece of paper in cursive, and they'll be they'll be screwed. Um, now, all of that aside, they're right to ask the question: Why should I? Why should I know this? And having that that bit of uh, of pairing the two things together of well, here's how it actually matters, and here's. Here's why you're going to want to know this. Now, there are lots of us, and, and I was one of them, that looked at something like calculus and go, I, I may never use this, but I actually find it fascinating that that's how that's done, right? That mm-hmm. that inquisitive mind of how does that thing work? How does, oh, now it's enlightened me about the way that that they calculate instantaneous acceleration or whatever you're trying to figure out. Oh, cool. That's just interesting things to know, like reading a good book. But as far as studying it and learning the exact formula and all that. Why, why would it's like Albert Einstein said, why would I know my phone number? I can look it up in a book. Yeah. You know, it just doesn't make sense. So we're, we're coming a little bit to the end, but I have a, a ton of questions for you. Cause this is a subject I could talk about for hours on end. The, the, the big one that I always ask is, is what do you feel like the biggest fallacy is that, that everybody buys into. Now, this can even be, be more broad than your specific area, or it can be very specific to, to, to what you talk about. What do you feel like is, is highly overrated? What's, what's just turns out to be total BS? What's overvalued is the focus that we have in the, on the work that we do. Okay? It's only a part of who we are. In the, our society, especially, Andrew, when you go to, or at least when I go to any kind of an event, and I'm not talking about a networking event, just a social event, what's one of the first questions that people will ask you? What do you do? What do you do? That's right. And so our value is tied up in what we do so that when we're not employed, think about we what no goes value. along with it. The yeah. shame. I mean, 
it's like, oh, you've got some form of disease that once we find out you're not working, uh, excuse me, I need to go and do something else. Okay, yeah. <laughs> well, it's and, and, yeah, that's that, you're right. The, and you can't offer me anything because I, 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 you have nothing to give. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And so you know, looking at all of this, it's really about you know who am I in the world, mm-hmm. which is a little different than what my purpose is. And I look at it as finding what I do that feeds who I am. And I will tell you, when I wake up in the morning, no two days are ever the same. And just getting ready for this podcast, which was, well, we didn't do a pre-podcast interview. So it's pretty much spontaneous. That's it. And that works for me. Whereas other people say, well, I have to have a script. Right. Like, no, no, I'm just sharing with you where I am in my life today. Yes. And yes. people, will, they'll say to me, you know, oh, after I hear what your life is about, I want your life. <laughs> because I travel the world. You know, hey, I write books. I, you know, do these kinds of speaking engagements. And my response is always the same, Andrew. You can have what I want if you're willing to go through what I did to get here. Yes. Well, that's, I boy, is that the truth? I mean, yes, 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 because I, I mean, they, I've talked to a lot of different people on this show, and one of the kind of consistent themes that you see is people look at almost as a not a voyeur, but the, but just from an outside lens, look at somebody, whether it's on the internet or elsewhere, and and go, well, I want that. You go, I don't know if you do, because if you did, you you'd need to want to do the things that it took to to get them there. And so often we we don't we want what we think it's going to feel like to 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 be there or or to do that or or whatever. You hear a beautiful concert pianist at a, at an event, and you go up and you talk to them. Every you go, I wish I could play the piano like that. And there's a there's a, a woman whose response to that was, Would you be willing to practice for four hours a day from age six to thirty six? And most people go, no, I, I, I couldn't do that. Well, then, then you don't, you wouldn't give anything to, 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 right. to be like me. You, you wish it would just, it would just coalesce. So, I mean, on the other side, right now, what is the most underrated concept? What are people overlooking? What are we, what are we missing? And this could be two sides of the same coin, of course. But is there something that, that, that we're just not paying attention to that we should pay more attention to? What are we missing? And I can only speak for myself on this, Andrew. When you find the work that you do that you love, it doesn't feel like work. What I do, this is this does not feel like it did when I worked a 40, 50, 60 hour work week. I get up and I'm in charge of my own day. And I think that's a big piece of this. How much of what you do during the day you feel like you have any control over yeah if it's someone else running your life hey if that works for you go for it right. but if you're not feeling like this is fulfilling you know you have in your podcast the word joy yeah if you're not feeling joy in what you do you need to take a good hard look at that and yeah. so i think that you know that is definitely the other side of it and yes a lot of it is introspective and you the question becomes, aren't you worth it? Aren't you worth taking the time? You probably spend more time 
considering what the next car is that you're going to buy yeah. than you do about your future and the work that you're here to do. Take advantage of opportunities. You never know where they can lead. I mean, Absolutely. The, pe- the people that I meet, none of them are by accident. <laughs> and so they've, they, yeah. Yeah. No, it's true. I mean, the, the leveraging opportunities and identifying opportunities and grabbing onto them when they, when they show up, that is a skill. That is a learned skill. And so much, so many of us, myself included, have kind of started to, to write internal narratives and stories. And when we tell ourselves these things, well, yeah, it's an opportunity, but it's not really going to pan out or it's not going to turn into something or I'm not going to, I'm not going to go after it because this is going to happen. And, and we kind of do this future trip thing and, and look at the way that, that things might turn out. And then we, by the time we go, you know, maybe I should, that opportunity has passed us by. It's gone. We've missed it. We don't have a chance to, to, to go after it, to, to, to find our, our passion, our enjoyment, our, 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 our fun, our future. And by not doing the work, by not taking that time to, to think about what we really want and what would make us happy and, and what, what an actual plan would be for making that happen, uh, we, we miss out. And boy, you know, that kind of sucks. It does. And, you know, the other thing, too, as we wrap this up, it's important for people to understand that the day of working for a company for 25 years and getting the golden watch, those days are over. That's that's one of the fallacies. Okay, and people will say to me, well, I'm looking for job security. And I thought, well, that exists with Santa Claus and the tooth fairy. (laughs) And I'm sorry. It's just not out there for a number of reasons. Uh, the younger you are, the more jobs you will have in a lifetime. So like the Gen Zers will have at least 14 different jobs during their careers. There and that's go. that's the new normal. And just accept it. And yeah, if you stay in a place for a while, look at what you do while you're there. Like the one school I was in for 22 years, I had four or five different positions there. So it might be the same company, but you're doing very different things. And you always want to look at how you're growing. Now, is this an opportunity for me to grow? Yes. Yes. Well, and that's, there's a, I don't know who it was. Oh, it was actually my last last guest, the guy whose episode technically posted today on the day that we're recording this said there there's there are different faiths that that teach the concept of of good and bad and that there really is no bad there's there's only good that something is good now or it might be good later it's good that i learn it it's good that i know it it's good that it didn't happen mm-hmm. because x y and z mm-hmm. and when you kind of approach things as each one is a stepping stone to to the next thing and 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 those kinds of kinds of opportunities it 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 becomes huge. David, thank you so much for joining me. Folks, if you want to know more about David, you can find him on LinkedIn and elsewhere. Links to everything are in the show notes as always. And until next time, I'm Andrew Wallace and we don't have a problem. We've got an opportunity. <laughs>